at the end of each year, I pray and I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, what, what do you want to do in the next year? How do you want us as a church to move forward? What are the things that are important to you? And the Lord has given me a couple different things. One of the themes that he's given me, and this is what I'm going to start sharing on today, is God's word, God's presence, and God's ways. So this week, I did send an email out to uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Dinah and told them what I was going to be speaking on. But Pastor Jeff already had the scripture that I'm going to be reading. It's the song that we sang today about wanting God's presence and God, give us your name and Lord, uh, show us your glory. Those are the words of Moses out of the Old Testament. We're going to read those in a moment. But we're going to talk about God's word, God's presence, and God's ways. This is a theme that the Lord has for us as a church. I believe it would be, uh, it would be good for the entire church, large C, to take heed of this, because a lot of people have a very narrow view of their Christian faith, and I'll explain that in a moment. But can we just ask God to open our hearts right now? Father, give us wisdom. Give us insight, Lord. Reveal your word to us today. We know that the words that we're going to read out of the Bible are words that were penned by people moved by your Holy Spirit. They, they were divinely inspired. They come with a thus saith the Lord. They come with a divine address. Your word is unlike any other book, Lord. And uh, we thank you that you've transmitted this to us, Lord, on three continents, 47 authors, uh, 66 books, Lord, over a period of 1,600 years. And it's a cohesive message to your people of what you want to do. So, Lord, give us wisdom and insight today to understand what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you know people in your life or you've met people that love God's word, but they don't necessarily like people? Have you ever met somebody like that? As a matter of fact, I actually talked to a guy one time and he said, I love to preach God's word. I love the word so much. And, and he said, I really want to be a pastor. He said, but I don't like people. It wasn't me. Don't look at me that way. But I mean, you know, it, it was an interesting statement to me because there are people that love theology. There are people that love to learn. They love to parse Greek verbs. They love to get into the Hebrews, but they don't love people. And, and sometimes I think they don't even love God's word. They love theology. That's the way the religious people were that killed Jesus. And I'm not just picking on Jewish people because there are a lot of people of every ethnic group that are the same way. Isn't it true? If you love God's Word, but you never experience His presence, you can result in an intellectual-based Christianity without intimacy and power. You know what I'm talking about there? Then there are some who have experienced God's presence, but they rarely get into His Word. How many of you have met people like that? These are the cosmic Christians. They're always ready to tell you about their latest manifestation of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. And they love the Lord. They want to be with the Lord. The problem is, if you are really into God's presence, but you're not into God's word, you will end up at the wrong place. Yeah. One of the best examples in the Bible, Paul and Silas go into this community, and they are uh, going in as missionaries. And it's a polytheistic community that serves many gods. But as they're praying for people, an amazing miracle is done. And the people go, hey, this is Zeus and Hermes. The Greek gods have come down in our midst. And they started preparing a sacrifice to give to Paul and Silas. They were trying to put into context what had happened there in their midst. And Paul says, wait a minute, don't do this. Because, and, and well, you know the end of the story. They ended up beating them up and chasing them out of the city when they found out they weren't Greek gods. 
The point is, is you can really be deep in the presence of the Lord, but if you don't get any word, it's like having so much oxygen and not enough nitrogen in your mix, and you're going to pass out. Is it true? So the Word and the presence go together. And I tell people, we are a Word and Spirit church. We believe in the Word of God. We need to go deep in the Word. We need to love the Word. But we also need to be free in the Holy Spirit. Those two things need to go together. How many of you have been in churches that stress one or the other? You know there there can be distortions when you don't have both of those together. But there's a third thing. There are some who know His Word, and they've experienced His presence, but they've never learned to walk in His ways. How many of you know what the ways of God are? It's very interesting. Second, uh, Timothy says there are some people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. Now, we all have ways of doing life, don't we? We have ways of handling our finances. Are your ways God's ways of handling finances, or is your life out of control? We have ways of dealing with conflict in our life. The anger of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. How many of us deal with our relationships by going off in rages or anger? That's not God's way. And yet, for many Christians I know, that's a pattern in their life that goes on and on. See, the thing is, we can know all about the Word, we can experience the presence of God, But if our hearts aren't conformed to the truth of God, if we haven't learned to walk in His ways, we're going to get into trouble. We need to learn the ways of God. And if we want to walk as followers of Jesus, we need to know all three, God's Word, God's presence, and His ways. And by the way, I want to to tell you, because people ask me all the time, we hear uh, politicians, we hear leaders, we hear people in our government or people that are in... Uh, media or entertainment because they get a lot of attention. You know, they're coming over the airwaves and over the internet. And they talk about God. And they talk about having an experience and how they love God. And then they do something totally contrary to the Word of God. Here's, Here's what I believe. A lot of people have experienced God's presence. Some of them have even had a little bit of God's Word. But they've never learned to walk in His ways. How many presidents have I heard? Because I've been around enough to have voted for, and my guys usually don't get in. But anyway, (laughs) so here's the interesting thing. As you look at this, almost every one of those presidents claimed to be a Christian. How many of them knew the ways of God? Telling a lie is not walking in the ways of God. Disrespecting and dishonoring people when you disagree with them is not a way of God. And I, I know that I can't expect a perfect leader out there, but I also know that when you say that you belong to Christ and you misrepresent Him, that there are consequences for that. You hear what I'm saying? So the church better wake up and we need to teach people to walk in the ways of God. Okay? I'll be straight out with you. I like some of the things that President Trump has done. But I don't like the way he disrespects people. I was happy when President Obama was elected because I thought, here's a guy that at least has a good family, and he's got a good family life. And in 2008, he said marriage is between one man and one woman, and he proclaimed that, and I said, this is good. And then in 2012, he totally changed his mind. And I thought, what's going on here? And he claims to be a Christian. 
If you go back through all the presidents, you'll see inconsistencies. Why? Because they weren't walking in the ways of God. And I believe some of those people had sincere encounters with God. And I pray as much for President Trump as I do for President Obama and all the other presidents. Because there has not been a president that represents me entirely. There's not a party that represents me entirely. I'm all over the map. You know, seriously. People say, well, you sound like you're really conservative, except I'm anti-war. Wait a minute, aren't Christians supposed to be in favor of war? Think about that. How many wars have we started that have not been declared? And so I say, go Rand Paul. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little political here. And then we read what Rand Paul has to say about Israel, and I say, Rand, what's the matter with you? So the point is, is that there's nobody out there that entirely represents what I'm saying, okay? But if we were all pressing in and learning to walk in the ways of God, how different it would look. And we need to learn the ways of God. One of the ways of God is, even though we don't agree with our leaders, we honor them because of who they are. That's why when people were calling him Obama, I called him President Obama. And that's why when people are disrespecting Trump, I say, you're not going to solve anything by disrespecting him. You hear what I'm saying there? And I'm going to talk about this more in the weeks to come because as we talk about the word and we talk about what's happening in our culture, you can't avoid politics and you can't avoid what's happening in our culture. As I was preparing my notes, and you'll see this in a moment, Franklin Graham was kicked off of Facebook last week for being a hater. They apologized and put him back on after a bunch of people spoke out. Now, Franklin Graham takes a pretty strong view of things, and I agree with him 99.9% of the time. So they may take me off Facebook. Stand up for me, will you? But something I know about Franklin Graham is he has a heart for the poor and he has a heart for people that are broken. And I've seen him do more for people in need through Samaritan's Purse and things like that. He's not a hater. I'm going to say some difficult things today and over the next couple weeks. But if the church doesn't talk about this, folks, then where are we going to learn? Where are we? It's, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but where are we going to learn? Where, how are we going to learn? And some, one moment you're going to be cheering for me, and the next minute you're going to be, is that my pastor? Moses says this. When God called Moses to lead the people, Moses said, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. If you read it in context here, you'll find what Moses is saying. He's saying, Lord, we don't know you that well yet. You've called me to lead this people, but we don't know you that well. If you don't show me your ways, I know that the land is going to literally vomit me out of your mouth. He's saying we need to know your ways so that we are not rejected from the land. And I would say the same thing is true for us today in America. If we don't walk in God's ways, this land is going to reject us. 
That's true for any country. We need to know the ways of God. Notice here, too, that the, uh, Moses is talking about God's presence. The Word is important, but unless we understand and experience His presence, the Apostle Paul knew the Word pretty well. But it wasn't until the presence of God hit him on the way to Syria, to Damascus, on that road, and the Spirit of God appeared to him, and he saw that light, that all of a sudden everything came into place. Because the presence and the Word go together. And then we learn to walk in God's ways. So I'm going to start with the Word today. Can we just get a few minutes and we'll start with a foundation and then we'll pick this up over the next couple weeks. It's important that we have all three of these things, by the way, because if we don't understand all three, then we're going to end up at, in trouble. Uh, we need to start teaching our children all three of these at a very early age. Let's, let's go to that next slide. We'll get to God's ways and His presence in the next couple weeks. Let's start with the Word. The Apostle Paul predicted a time when people would not tolerate sound teaching from God's Word. In 2 Timothy 4.1, here's Paul. He's getting ready to go home. This is one of the last books that he wrote, if not the last book. He's speaking to Timothy, who is a pastor, but he was also part of Paul's apostolic team and even helps Paul co-write some of the letters. It says from the Apostle Paul and Timothy and some of the letters that are written. So here's a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son. And he's telling him some very important things, and he's telling him what's going to come, what he's going to face in the future. His words here are so powerful in the Greek, he's basically saying in a solemn vow, he's telling him, I charge you, as though this were a formal charge, he says, I charge you in the name of God and of Christ Jesus. So here's what he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul begins this charge to Timothy by reminding us that all of us are going to stand before God and give an account of what we've said and what we've done. Remember what I said in one of my messages? If I could write one letter to every leader in our country, it would be this. God sees you. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you think. And someday you're going to stand before Him and give an account. Isn't that true? Well, guess what? All the rest of us are too. When my son said to me, what gives you the right to tell me how to live my life when he was about 12 years old? I said, God does. And someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for what I did, how I treated you and how I protected you and how I trained you for life. And when you get to be on your own, when you can go out on your own, then you can make your own decisions. But until that age, I'm responsible. He said, thank you, Dad. I didn't know that. But all of us are going to give an account. I'll give an account for how I raised my children. I'll give an account for how I pastored this church. I'll give an account for whether or not I share the words I'm going to share with you in a moment or whether I held back out of fear because I wanted people to like me. And that's a problem in the church right now. It's a problem in our culture. People are afraid to talk about things that need to be talked about because everybody's afraid of what everybody else thinks about them. You are not free. If you're worried about what people think about you or how they're going to respond, you are not free, and we need to be free in the Lord Jesus. By the way, it's a freedom to love, not a freedom to tear people down. Does he say that about our gifts? 
He says, I, I give you freedom so that you can press into that perfect law of liberty to love one another, not to tear people down. That's in Galatians. So he goes on, he says in verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Francis Frangipan, he says, there's something that happens in people's minds when they hear preachers say this, and they hear them say, encourage, encourage, and encourage. It says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So Paul reminds us that in the fear of the Lord, and what is the fear of the Lord? It's an understanding that someday God is going to call us to an account. He's not going to condemn us. If he was going to condemn us, he wouldn't have sent his son to die for us and be raised again. But he is going to say, what did you do with the opportunity that I gave you? Did you walk in my ways? Did you obey my word? Did you hear what we read this morning from Psalm 119 about the importance and the joy of walking in the ways of the Lord? God's law is a good thing. Because all of that, and this is why I think that things never change in God's word, it's all based on His character. It's all based on who He is. He also goes on to say, in view of God's coming kingdom, which will change our perspective dramatically when the Lord comes to set up in this kingdom. And we need to ask the question, do you live for the here and now, or are you living with an eternal perspective? This is what Paul is telling Timothy. In light of the coming kingdom, you need to proclaim words. And what is he saying there? He's saying, you've got a choice. You can either live to, to please this present world, or you can live to please the Lord Most High who created you in His image. All of us have that choice to make. Are you going to please God, or are you going to please the people around you? Many of us grow up in our lives learning to please our parents, learning to please our siblings, our friends, our teachers, our coaches, whoever it is. But do we ever think about really pleasing the Lord? In my life right now, I really, I do want to please people. I mean, I don't want to tick people off. I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. But I have to say this, my primary goal is to please God. And I figure if I'm pleasing God, I'm doing the right thing by other people around me too. Because to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the beginning of loving your neighbor as yourself. I remember that message you shared, Greg, uh, about a year and a half ago about those two things. Loving God, loving others. He goes on in verse 3 here. He says, A time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth. They'll turn off their spiritual receivers, and they will turn aside to myths. Timothy and all spiritual leaders in the church are charged to do five things here in what Paul says. Number one, he says, preach the word. Be faithful to continue to proclaim the word. And that's not just here on Sunday morning. That's wherever I go. So on the phone with somebody that I never met or somebody that I didn't know very well, I'd met them before, but I know them in a professional capacity, I stopped our conversation, even though they were billing me at the time, and said, can I pray for you right now? And this lady said, wait a minute, you want to pray for me right now? And I said, yeah, I did. And she was just choked up and she said, everybody says, I'll pray for you, but nobody prays for you right now. I've got to go home and tell my family about this. 
I mean, we need to be prepared to share Christ whenever, wherever we are, and to open up a, a, a channel into people's hearts. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. The third thing he says is correct. The idea here, and I, and I don't want to break it all down in the Greek, but if you go and look at the word and you see how it's used in context, it means to be willing to bring discipline where discipline is needed. A lot of spiritual leaders don't want to do that. And that's why the church is not a safe place. He says rebuke. We need to give words of correction. I love to give the happy, wonderful, give joy, give praise to the Lord words, but there are some times when I need to share hard things with us. And if I don't do that, when I stand before God, He's going to say, why didn't you warn those people? He says it very clearly to Ezekiel in the Old Testament. He says, if I tell you, if I give you a prophetic word and I tell you to warn the people and you warn them, then you've delivered your soul. If you don't, then I will hold their souls at your account. I will call you to account for what you didn't do. And then he says, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. And you know what? We can say hard words in love. The late Dave Wilkerson, I used to love reading his stuff. He said, you know, if you have a broken heart and you love people, you can tell them the hard things. Because they know that you really care and what you're saying to them is, is for their good. So let's look at this people not tolerating sound teaching. People will not tolerate the teaching of the gospel as it was once and all delivered to mankind. I was reading an article by Jonathan Kahn this week about Billy Graham. He was talking about Billy Graham. Jonathan Kahn, of course, is the um, rabbi of the largest messianic congregation in in, uh, America. He's in New Jersey. Some of you have read his books. He says this, he says, Graham was known as the pastor to presidents, and he prayed at numerous presidential inaugurations. But had he begun his ministry today instead of years ago, holding the same views he had always held, it's likely he would have been banned from praying at the Obama inauguration. This is a sign of how much America has metamorphosed in the past half century, a sign of how great and deep is its spiritual and moral apostasy. Things have shifted. And unfortunately, Jonathan Kahn is right. The gospel stays the same. Now, the world wants to know why we Christians are so narrow-minded. Why don't we just change what we believe? We're going to talk about that. People will seek their own version of truth that conforms to their lusts. And the word there is desires in the NIV. In the King James, it's lusts. and a few other uh, versions, it's lusts. And that's the word there. People will decide what they really love and want in their life, and they will conform truth to that. There are very few people that seek out truth and conform their life to truth. It's the other way around. They find out what they really like, and they conform their truth around what they like. And that's why the world is in the shape that it is. They will surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And there's an indication here that there's going to be a lot more people like that that are willing to tell you what you want to hear than people that are going to tell you the truth. Now, this is a hard thing for the church to hear, but Jesus said it very clearly. He said, broad is the path that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. And there are few that find it. That means that sometimes you're going to feel like a salmon because you're going to be swimming the other way. 
Are you okay with that? That's a hard thing. Even in a, in a culture, and I get around other pastors sometimes, and many of them are truth-tellers, and some of them aren't, and some of them are kind of on the fence. But for many of them, success is measured in how many people? And Jesus kind of says it the other way. As a matter of fact, remember, Jesus wrecked the church growth movement when he had 5,000 people on the hillside, and he was feeding them bread and fish, and things were going really well, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a pretty hard thing to say. It was metaphorical. But he was talking about how he was going to lay his life down for them and he was wanting them to go deeper. But they said, no, no. We want the bread and fish thing. There are a lot of people that want religion today, but they don't really want the God who's going to call them to account. The one who created them in His image. And we have to make a decision. There are a lot of people that have created a God in their own image. I've talked to them, and I've said, well, my God won't do that. Well, who's your God? When did you create Him? Tell me about Him. What does He look like? You know? Like the woman that I read at, about out of Philip Yancey's book that I still can't get over that story where she's having an affair, she's cheating on her husband, and she has an hour of quiet time every morning where she spends time with God. And Yancey asks her the question, he says, well, when you talk to God, doesn't He talk to you about this relationship you have with this man that isn't your husband? And she says, my God would never condemn me. Well, we have some evidence in John chapter 4 when Jesus talks to the woman at the well that he probably would in such a loving and wonderful way. But he did. And that woman's life was transformed. See, this is what happens when people get in the spirit, but they don't have the word. You know, we create a God in our own image. There's an indication in this scripture that some of these people knew truth at one time and had a conscience, but they will turn away from truth and turn toward myths. Now, when you hear myths, don't think of the Greek myths. They're talking about things that we believe in our culture that are so wacky and are not true. We're in a place right now where people are even denying science to affirm what they want to believe. They'll pick the science they want and leave the rest. So even the agnostics that are say they're based on science or ignoring half the science. We're seeing this thing happen rapidly in our culture, in our church. People like former pastor of Mars Hill Church, Rob Bell, who changed his mind all of a sudden and said, well, hell doesn't exist. We're not sure exactly when that happened. It happened sometime around 2011 before his church asked him to leave. But at some point, he decided that he was going to walk away from what the church has believed for thousands of years and on his own make a decision to throw away a cardinal doctrine of the church. There are people right now that say they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and they love the Word that are saying we don't need the Old Testament anymore. There are people that are saying all sorts of things, and I could give you a list, but we're not going to go there. Prominent pastors and theologians are questioning long-held theological views there's a deep rift in Western culture over truth. The main religion in our culture is relativism. It's the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. That's the primary religion of our age. What does that mean? That means that I'm the final arbiter of what's true or what's not. 
There is no truth outside of me. I'm the one that decides what's true. Imagine if we applied, applied that to our driving laws. I don't believe stop signs are ethical. Does it work in natural science? I don't believe in the law of gravity anymore. Hang on, I'm getting ready to levitate. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Jim? What if I did? What if I started? There was the one pastor, did you see him a couple weeks ago, that got, he came in on wires in North Carolina over the, we don't have enough height here, can't do it, sorry. Unfortunately, relative, relativists, these are people that believe truth is relative to the situation. Let me tell you what happens when people are relativists. The first people to get hurt are children. The second people to get hurt are the elderly. And then they start finding reasons why other groups of people aren't human. We saw it happen in Nazi Germany with the Jews. It can happen with any group of people. Can't it? And it's a dangerous thing. There's a problem. Relativists believe that anyone who believes in absolute truths are intolerant haters. That's why Franklin Graham got kicked off of Facebook. There is no real tolerance in relativism. It's politics of annihilation that wants to eliminate the Christian voice from society. Over the years, I've had liberal and conservative friends, and we have sat down at tables. And liberal and conservative don't work anymore, by the way. They're, they're terms that don't work because we have a whole new milieu of ideas, and I'm going to get into that over in the weeks to come. But sitting down at a table with people that disagree with you and agreeably and respectfully, with honor, listening to one another and growing and sharpening one another, has always been a value in America. It's slowly disappearing from our American value system. Where now, what I'm hearing in the public discourse is, if you don't agree with me, you have no right to have any voice in society at all. If you don't agree with me, you don't have a right to vote. And what they're doing, what these groups are doing, and by the way, they're all over the political spectrum. They're coming from different directions. But what they're essentially saying is they're finding ways to make you less than human. And if they can take away your humanity, they will take away your rights. And we've seen that too many times in history to let that happen again. For the relevist, all truth is a matter of opinion. Why do relevists believe that Christians are haters? They can't figure out, well, we can't just change our mind. So they think it's our opinion that marriage should be between one man and one woman till death us do part. And they don't realize that this is something that comes from God. Marriage is based on the very definition of who God is. We're faithful to one another because we serve a faithful God. Isn't that true? That's why when we say the marriage covenant, it's based on Scripture. So people think, well, why can't you just be open-minded and do something else? So here's the question I have for them is, can you understand that we serve a God who's created all things, and I have no right to change 
what he has set in motion from the beginning of time. Progressives, and I already talked about President Obama, that's just one example. And it broke my heart when he changed. And I, and I want you all to know something. I think you probably know this by now. Let me ask it this way. Was President Obama a hater in 2007 and 2008 when he proclaimed that marriage was between one man and one woman? Was he? Was my grandmother a hater? Was that generation before that believed in marriage universally? They didn't always, weren't always able to follow it. Were they all haters? That's the way it's been in Western culture for thousands of years. So what's happening in the world that we live in now? And, and how many of you know Christians that have persecuted gay people? Amen. I know very few. In my high school growing up, I had friends that I knew were gay. We didn't talk about it much then, but it was the football players that were beating them up, not the Christians. <laughs> Sorry. Non-Christian football players. I love that laugh. That's, that's, worth a, that's worth a thousand amens. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? There have been times when the church has been wrong, and we need to apologize when we are. A lot of the church was wrong about slavery. The church has been wrong about how we treated women. The church has been wrong in a number of ways. But when it comes to sexuality and changing the culture of, of what is right or wrong, we don't change. Maybe we need to change our attitude and the way that, because honestly, uh, we never challenged divorce the way that we challenged homosexuality. And we were hypocrites, and there's no doubt about it. And we need to own that and deal with it. Okay? But if you know me, you know that I've, I've had uh, gay friends that had AIDS that have died, and I've loved them to the end, and I've not condemned them. And they know where I stand. I don't, when I talk to them, I don't condemn them. I tell them there's a God who loves them. I had one friend who, he wanted to serve the Lord so badly, but he got caught up in the, in the gay rights movement. He died of AIDS in New York City. And um, he was seduced by an older physician. And uh, he said, I just can't do the Christian thing anymore. I never stopped loving him. I don't condemn him any more than I would condemn somebody that struggles with alcohol or drugs or food or anything else. Do you hear what I'm saying here? But I can't just cavalierly change what I believe. And I think one of the things, and I, we need to ask the question, I'm going to stop here. What is it? Do we fear what people are going to think about us? Or maybe it's sometimes we have a wrong view of what love is. We think that love means approving of what everybody does. Parents, do you, if, if you don't approve of what your kids do and you discipline them, does that mean you stop loving them? You love them even more. And to be able to speak truth in love. But there are people now that are rejecting truth to the point that they don't even want a Christian voice in society. Folks, we're going to face some persecution, I've got to tell you straight out. 
If you haven't, I have already. And uh, if you haven't, you will. Because Jesus, our Lord, said, all those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Isn't that true? So I want to ask you a question today. Are you willing to stand in truth and walk in love and pay the price? Even to stand firm and to love when people say things to you? Are you willing to take a stand and stand firm and say, God, I don't care which way the world goes, even if I get kicked off all the social media sites, I'm going to stand for you? This is serious. And it's not going to go away. So I'm just starting today. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. Can we just stand together? I want to close in prayer. Two people, I just want to mention something too, and then I'm going to pray. Two groups of people. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got to tell you, He's, he's amazing. His love is transforming. And if you're willing to do that, as a body of believers, as a church, we're willing to stand with you and help you walk in the ways of God and the ways that God has called you to live. And all of us, even though we're imperfect, we're learning to love God together and we invite you to walk with us as we, as we struggle to, as we endeavor to please the Lord and get to know Him better. And if you want to pray uh, with somebody that will help you come to the Lord, uh, we're here to do that. If you want to hang back after the service, I'm going to ask for Pastor Dinah and maybe some of the prayer team if you'll just be here just for a moment in case there's anybody that wants prayer for that. For the rest of us, how many of you would say, I really need God's strength to walk in this season? I need to, again, I need to put my roots down on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need your help, Lord. The world is such a persuasive place and we know that your word says in Romans 12 the the world wants us to be conformed to its image and you tell us don't be conformed to the image of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind Lord it's a struggle for many of us there are times Lord when we have been silent when we should have spoken up there were other times Lord we didn't know how to say it or we didn't know what to say but we want to take a stand for you And it's hard in this season, Lord. The church, and I confess as a pastor, the church has not always done a good job of equipping us. So Lord, help us in this season. Help us to press in, Father, to a greater love than we've ever experienced. Help us to press into your truth in a greater way than we have ever experienced. Help us to stand firm and to learn your ways that our lives could be a living testimony of your word at work in us. God, we just ask for your help right now. Can we just pray one simple prayer together? Help us, Lord Jesus. Let's say it together. Help us, Lord Jesus. God, we need your help. We we just ask you to guide us. Lead us in your ways. Deliver us from the world. But help us to be fully engaged in loving the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hallelujah. Father, just bless us as we go forth today. Let your hand rest on each person, God. And Lord, as we enter into this new year, I just pray that you would guide us and give us wisdom and lead us by your spirit in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year to you. Have a great week. We'll see you in our next episode next week. <laughs>